A reading from the book of Galatians. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Hey, if you're a guest with us, as Paul said, uh, welcome again. It's so good to be with you. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with the One Fellowship family. I'm so excited for us to be talking about this passage today that you just heard Tanya read. Um, If you've been with us for the past two weeks as we've opened up this dynamic book in Galatians, one of the letters from Paul, um, which is for the most part, it's about one thing, the gospel of Jesus. That's what we're seeing. Throughout this entire letter, the Apostle Paul writes to this church. This is what he's fighting for. This is what he's ultimately defending, but not without opposition. Um, These churches that Paul planted had been infiltrated with false teachers. They were adding to the gospel or taking away from the gospel for their own selfish gain. And they were also accusing Paul of being a second-rate apostle with a second-rate gospel. And so why is Paul, why is he so passionate about defending this gospel? Well, one, this is the gospel that, if you know, completely and radically changed Paul's life. It's the power of this gospel that took Paul from literally murdering Christians and shutting down churches to planting churches and preaching the message of grace. And so it pains Paul to see these people 
who he dearly loves, confused, divided, and essentially handing back their freedom. Freedom, you heard the word as it was read in this passage, freedom. It's such an interesting concept. I was thinking a lot this week about freedom, not physical freedom, but something deeper, something more on a mental, emotional, and especially spiritual level. I was thinking about this a lot, and I kept coming back to this question. If I know, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you can relate with me here. If if you don't, uh, thank you for being here, and, and I hope that you tune in and explore what Paul has to say here. But for those of us who have a relationship with Christ, if I know that I'm free in Christ, that the Bible tells me that, why is it so hard to actually feel free and live free at times? Maybe you can relate with that. I feel like I can relate with that every day. It's something that we desperately want, and yet we live under the pressure of rules all around us that are spoken and unspoken, things that we are told we need to be or need to do in order to essentially live a well-formed, successful, acceptable, agreeable life. And it can be incredibly burdensome and filled with anxiety, and it can be confusing, and it can create fear, and ultimately it whittles down and diminishes the freedom that we actually desire. This happens both outside of the church, in our society and culture, and it can easily happen inside of the church. And so how do we avoid falling prey to both? It's a good question. How do we avoid it? How do we actually, in a real and tangible way, experience and live into the freedom that our soul truly cries out for, no matter who we are, no matter where you are this morning, no matter how old or young you are? Believe it or not, the answer is the same And we see it in this passage today. So I want to pray for us, and then we will open up Galatians 2. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this word. I pray that you would speak to us now through the power of your spirit, that you would meet us where we are, and that we would have open minds and open hearts to hear your word and to be changed by it. May it be for our good, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let us dive in here, Galatians 2. We're going to start in verse 1. Paul says this, After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Then, meaning we need to look back, right? So last week, Paul, Pastor Paul, not the Apostle Paul, talked to us about the Apostle Paul um, and his conversion, how God radically changed his life. And Paul went into great detail to prove that the gospel he's preaching isn't from man, but came directly from who? From God. From God. So important. And Paul shares what he did, where he went. He went to Samaria and Damascus for three years. He visited Peter for two weeks. And then he spent time in Syria and Cilicia, but still wasn't known to the other apostles or to the Jewish churches, but his reputation essentially was spreading right? As it would. The persecutor is now the preacher. (laughs) So imagine towns and cities hearing about this. Wait, no, 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 that has to be a different Paul. No, no, this Paul, he's now a preacher, right? But false teachers, the Judaizers, claim to represent the apostles in Jerusalem, and they were teaching that the new Gentile converts needed to be circumcised to keep with the law of Moses. We see this very clearly in Acts 15.1. It says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be 
saved. And this does not square with the gospel of Paul. These are two very different messages. And so it creates confusion and it creates division. And so after about 17 or 18 years of doing ministry, Paul rose up to Jerusalem, the center of this controversy, with Barnabas, a Jewish circumcised Christian, and Titus, a Greek uncircumcised Christian. Titus, probably not that super excited about this trip, right? It's like, yikes, did I really need to be invited? But here's what happens. Paul says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. In order, hear this, this is so critical, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. A revelation. We're not sure exactly about what Paul means here, but we do know that Jesus revealed himself to Paul, right? What's important is that the apostles, the apostles we know about, they did not call this meeting. Paul calls this meeting. Paul comes to the elders. He humbles himself. He could care less about his own ego. He only cares about one thing. What's true? That's the question. It should be the very question that we ask day in and day out when we are inundated with all kinds of ideas about truth or untruth or is there absolute truth or is there not. We should come back to what's actually true. What does God really say? What does his word really say? What is the risk here? It's an incredible risk. Paul says it. The risk of running in vain. The risk of living a mission or living a life in vain. One of my greatest fears as a pastor, and it has been for years, is that I or that you or that the city we're a part of would live or run in vain. According to all the false gospels that swirl around us, in society, and in and out of churches, these man-made ideas that could lead us or divert us off of the truth and lead us to run in vain. And so Paul says, hey, I want to check myself. I want to make sure that the gospel I'm preaching to the Gentiles is the real, true gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. I don't want to run in vain. This also shows up and it shows us and it highlights the importance of Christian community around you. That when you are siloed or you're on an island by yourself in the faith, things can go sideways pretty quick. It's amazing what you can start to believe. That's why we need one another. We need those who have been a part of the faith for years and years and years to speak into our lives. We need close community of those brothers and sisters who know us incredibly well that we invite in to speak the truth, especially when we start believing false things. You even see that here in this midst with these apostles, these brothers in the faith. Paul continues. He says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Most relieved award goes to Titus, right there. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery. Here come the false teachers, right? Here's what's scary about this. It refers to them as brothers. Those who were actually in the church, who claimed faith, they were these false teachers. They wanted to essentially add requirements on top of a relationship with Jesus. It's what we would refer to as legalists. 
If you've heard that word or you hear this word legalism in the church, maybe you've wondered, what exactly does that mean? Legalism is essentially this. It's adding rules or regulations man-made to keep your relationship with God intact, right? Or, especially in our day and age, we can have what I would refer to as reverse legalism. Here's what this looks like. Watering down the gospel in relationship to Jesus and making grace cheap. You can have both. On one side, we add requirements, we add things to it. On the other side, we water it down. And we say, you know what? Jesus is really just that ticket to heaven. Do whatever you want with your life. So be it. Both equally dangerous because of what they do. That's what we see. And so these false teachers, they come in. And when it comes to false gospels, some are really easy to spot. We know this, right? So like uh, Jesus isn't God. Pretty easy to spot. Jesus didn't die. Okay, that one's easy. Jesus didn't rise from the grave. Beliefs in other gods completely. But some are not so easy. Um, years and years and years ago, when I was in college, I worked for a bank for about six months. And in that bank training, what they do is they make you go through these two weeks of training before you can actually step foot in a bank. Pretty smart. Um, but two complete days, 48 hours, not 48 hours. I wasn't at the bank for 48 hours. But two days, <laughs> two eight-hour days, um, we spent on just one thing. And I did not get it, and I did not understand it at first, on counterfeit bills. Two days dedicated to this. I was like, this is such a waste of time. This should be about 45 minutes. What I quickly realized is why we were spending so much time on this is because it was so difficult to spot counterfeits. It was so difficult. Because a lot of counterfeits are really hard to spot because they look exactly like the real thing. Sometimes with just the slightest addition or subtraction from the genuine bill. And that's what's happening here. The false teachers weren't completely dismantling the gospel of Jesus. They were adding to it, taking from it, distorting it. And the same thing is happening all around us. And that's why we need to be aware of it and be on guard. And it is out to steal your freedom. It is. This happens in society. Society would say, your identity is not just found in Jesus, but Jesus plus your job, Jesus plus your income, Jesus plus popularity, Jesus plus achievements, Jesus plus your abilities. That's really where your identity is. Or maybe it's someone else speaking in that says, you know what, sin really isn't that big of a deal. That's what grace is for. Or the gospel is essentially just to get you to heaven and you can do whatever you want from there. Or we can start doing this. We can start adding things of our own in order to protect people in the church. You ever seen that? It's like, yeah, yeah, grace is amazing, but you also need to do this, and you also need to look that way, and you also need to make sure not to touch this. And, and I mean, you, you really need to do that. And what ends up happening? Fear. Fear. Fear-based faith. I miss that part in Jesus' ministry where he scared people into submission to follow him. But we can do that in order to protect. And we may even have a good desire to do that, but we have to be so careful not to overstep and to try to become the Holy Spirit ourselves. It doesn't mean that we don't step in and we don't speak in when we see a brother or sister going sideways or away from the faith, but we never add or subtract anything from this gospel in order to protect. Maybe it's the church, right? 
This can happen so easily within the church. We either can swing to a poverty gospel or a prosperity gospel. On one side, believing that the more we suffer, the holier we are. Poverty. Not true. Right? Or prosperity. That if we show up, we do the right things, we, 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 we pray enough, we give enough, then we'll get everything we ever wanted for. You'll go home today and that brand new Benz will be in your driveway. Right? False gospel. We have to be so careful. There will always be a temptation to make Christianity about something that it was never meant to be about. If it's just about living a moral life, we need rules for that. If it's about looking a certain way, we need rules for that. If it's primarily just about maybe serving one another, then we need rules in place for that. We have to be careful to keep the main thing the main thing. And here's one of the biggest voices speaking in. It's our own. It's us. This small belief within us, our flesh, that says, I really do need to work for God's approval. I need to earn his approval. When I mess up, I need to make up for it. We have this voice. I had it growing up. Man, I was scared to death of God. Not a fear of God like an awe of him, like a fear of him, like a fear of him. And what it started to do is it started to make it all about rules. And it made it all about me trying to hold up my end of the bargain and try to keep the relationship intact. But you know what it actually did? Killed the relationship. Killed the relationship. See, here's what legalism produces. A couple things. Fear. It produces fear within us and it diminishes the relationship. It can produce secrecy where we hide out. We're not authentically known because we're so afraid of our sin and we're so shamed by it that we keep it hidden. It can also create shame within us. And so we push away from the table, we push away from God, or we hide from other brothers and sisters in community because we're afraid of our standing before God. And here's another thing that it can do. It can well up pride within us to where we judge one another. And we think, well, at least I'm better than them. Well, at least I'm not doing that. Well, at least I'm not struggling over here. And we stand back at a distance and we gaze and we judge. And in all of this, what does it destroy? The relationship. The relationship that God desires to have with you. And we will fall into an identity crisis where we are a shell of a person simply performing and trying to keep this relationship going and act like we have it all together. Looking back at these false teachers out of their own selfish, exclusive view of the gospel, as Tim Keller says, they are teaching that not all Jewish people are Christians, but all Christians must become Jewish. To believe this false gospel would mean far too much emphasis on external cultural separation rather than on the internal distinctiveness of spirit, motive, outlook, and perspective. Elevating cultural propriety to the level of spiritual virtue leads Christians to a slavish emphasis on being culturally nice and proper as well as promoting intolerant and prejudiced attitudes. No wonder this meant so much to Paul. This type of belief is enslaving when becoming a Christian and following Jesus means to become free. To become free. That the law is no longer something we need to live under, but instead it shows us our guilt and it leads us to repentance meaning to turn away from the former and to turn to Jesus. 
And it leads us to live under Christ who came and he fulfilled the law through obedience to the Father in our place through his life, death, and resurrection. And because this is what the unadulterated gospel is, Paul says this, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment. Why? So the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The gospel, the gospel of Jesus. It says all cultures, all people are freely offered salvation by faith in Christ. Romans 10, 13, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me just tell you this. A gospel that isn't available to everyone shouldn't be a gospel for anyone. And we need to hold to that truth. These false teachers, they would say, go and get clean first and then come to Jesus. And Jesus says, come to me and I will make you clean. If we believe that the gospel is truly available to anyone, then we should be eager as the church, as followers, to share it with everyone. There are people in your life right now who desperately need the truth of this gospel. People who you have been praying for, who we have been praying for, who God can and we're praying absolutely would save, change their life, just like Paul's. And as we talked about last week, what they need to hear is a story, a better story. They need to hear the story of a loving and gracious Savior who would lay down his own life for them. They need to hear hear your story attached to that, how your story comes within God's story, you being a life that was changed, not by man-made rules and regulations, but by the grace and love of Jesus. And when you stand firm in the gospel of grace, and you grow in this gospel, you are helping preserve it for one another. Your brothers and sisters in here, I love it. As Danny shared, her grandmothers, they were preserving the gospel for her. You are preserving the gospel for the kids that are in kidsmen right now that just went out those doors. You're preserving the gospel for my son, Silas. He turned five today, and he's starting to understand. Yeah, good for it, man. Wild times. I won't get into that. Um, <laughs> He's starting to understand and he's starting to pick up on who Jesus is and what that means. And you are coming alongside and you are helping preserve the gospel for him. Would we love Jesus so much that it pours out into our love for one another that we would seek to preserve the beauty and the uncompromised nature of this gospel of grace? That's Paul's heartbeat. That's his heartbeat for the church. It's a father's heart. May it be our heartbeat for one another that we would preserve this gospel and not buy into the false one for our spouses, for our children, for our community, for our parents, for all of them. Paul goes on and he says, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. Now here's the deal. Paul's not being rude here. It's not what he's doing. He's reaffirming that ultimate authority comes from Jesus, that what unites us is Jesus. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Paul wants to make it clear. He didn't get the gospel from the apostles. It's the same gospel as the apostles. They are aligned like wheels on a vehicle. 
It's the same message, it's the same mission, but it's to all sorts of different people. Peter is ministering to the Jewish, Paul to the Gentiles, because everyone needs Jesus. Everyone. They're all in agreement on this. That's why Paul and Barnabas are giving the right hand of fellowship, essentially for everyone to say we are unified on this. We are in agreement on this, especially in the face of false teachers and false ideas with their own agenda, because there's always an agenda. With every false gospel that comes along, there is an agenda. I don't know if you know this, but during this time, there were such close ties with the religious leaders and the religious elite to political power. And those are directly tied together. And so it scared the religious elite to have this idea of freedom in Christ where you no longer had to be under the law because what that meant was that you were no longer had to be under them in their oppression, in their rules. There's always an agenda to pull you from one place to another and ultimately away from the truth. Here's what I love. The true gospel of Jesus, hear this, it only has one agenda, to save lost sinners. To save lost sinners, to offer living hope in the face of death, to pour grace over shame. It is relationship over rules. It's freedom over chains. It's love over hate. It's not man-made, but it is God-ordained. And we don't deserve it, and we can't earn it, but we can humble ourselves to Jesus and accept it. It is grace upon grace. It is Jesus plus nothing offered to every man, woman, and child without bias. And it is for you with no strings attached. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is what he wants for you. This is what he has for you. This is why he gave his life for you. This is something worth getting behind. And here's why this gospel of grace is so important to an ongoing relationship with him. Here's why. Hear this. Because grace says that when you go out and you mess up tomorrow and you botch it, God's view of you is unchanged. He loves you just as much. And it's not shifting. But legalism says when you mess up tomorrow, you better find a way to make up for it so that the way God sees you remains unchanged. And it's completely enslaving. When God wants you to experience freedom through Christ. One enslaving, one freeing. A gospel that offers us a new identity and a real relationship in the face of cultural lies and religious man-made rules. Here's the big idea that I want us to hold on to today and take with us. The price of our freedom costs too much to make it anything less and is far good, too good to make it anything more than Jesus plus nothing. Be on guard. And then we end this passage in a really interesting way. Paul says, only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Remember the poor. Some believe that the churches Paul was planting in Gentile regions had more wealth, whereas the church in Jerusalem had little and they needed help. And so Paul responds with, I'm eager to help. I'm eager to help. This idea that the gospel opens up our eyes to see all people as image bearers in need of Jesus. Whether it's in this room today or it's who Mel goes and ministers to in Kenya. That all people are, are in need of the same gospel. The gospel of Jesus, not the gospel of man. 
The gospel that says, no matter your background, you can come to Jesus. The gospel that says, no matter how much money you do or don't have in your bank account, you can come to Jesus. The gospel that says, whether you have a rap sheet a mile long or you followed every rule in the book, you can find living hope at the feet of Jesus. It's the gospel for the rich. It's the gospel for the poor. It's the gospel for the married. It's the gospel for the single. It's the gospel for the divorced. It's the gospel for the crook. It's the gospel for the prostitute. And it's the gospel for the A student. It is this unbiased, beautiful gospel of grace that no one and nothing else has ever been able to touch and no religion on this earth has ever been able to get close to. Every other religious god or leader says, you must do this in order to come to me. And Jesus says, I have done this so that you can come to me. And it is finished and there's no strings attached and there's nothing else to do. I love you that much. This gospel is that good. So let's be unified in it. Hold on to it and never let it go for the sake of your soul, for your children, for your family, for Charleston and beyond. And that's the gospel that unites us. And so why end the meeting with remember the poor? Because this is the one the gospel's for. It's for the one who realizes that we are poor, that we are wrecked in our sin, and that our only hope is Jesus and the grace that he offers. And if we come to that place, he gladly gives it to us. This is the gospel that unifies us and makes us a family in here today. The gospel that alone can save, the gospel that can stand firm and we can find freedom in in the face of everything trying to take it away. Freedom from our sin, freedom from trying to earn God's love, freedom from trying to be enough, do enough, have enough, gain cultural approval and show cultural allegiance. Freedom from prejudice and freedom to see past ourselves and others who need Jesus. This is the gospel that we have to unite around. And this is the gospel that we have to take into our neighborhoods this week. Church, Jesus plus nothing means everything. May it be so. May we never move from it. And may we be a city on a hill pointing others to this beautiful, wonderful Savior. None other than Jesus, for our good, for his glory.